Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathbun, here in Atlanta, and we have a lot coming your way today. We'll be speaking with the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Greg McDermott. We'll also get you the latest news and notes on what's confirmed in terms of the bubbles coming up in just about a month. All coming up on our Trophy Life podcast. It's brought to you by Warner, the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Warner, the number one pro ladder. Step up your game with Warner Ladder. Go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. I thought we might have a little more scheduling news for you this week, but nothing yet confirmed. A few conferences have come out with their plans for conference games, 18 games, 16, 14, what have you. So I thought we'd share with you what we do know, courtesy of The Athletic, on the confirmed bubbles. These are four tournaments that we know are locked in that will begin right at Thanksgiving. First of all, the Bad Boy Mowers Crossover Classic in Sioux Falls, and Coach McDermott will talk more about that in just a minute. This is the battle for Atlantis that has moved to Sioux Falls. The teams that are in it, Creighton, Dayton, Memphis, Ohio State, West Virginia, Texas A&M, Utah, and Wichita State. The Maui Invitational, as we know, has been moved to Asheville, North Carolina. That kicks off on November the 30th, and in that field, Alabama, Davidson, Indiana, North Carolina, Providence, Stanford, Texas, and UNLV. Now, coming here to Atlanta is the Holiday Hoops Giving, and this tournament is on. It's still not yet determined how many games are going to be played here, but we do know that the Kentucky-Georgia Tech game will be played on November 27th, and that the other eight teams, Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Dayton, LSU, Memphis, Mississippi State, and South Florida are going to play four games on the 12th of December. They are also going to play extra games in a bubble concept from December the 10th through the 17th. So we'll obviously have more on that for you as soon as we know about it. And there is a Xavier event in Cincinnati with Xavier, Bradley, Oakland, and Toledo that kicks off on November the 25th. One note of injury news coming from Richmond. And a tough blow as Captain Nick Sherrod is going to miss the upcoming season. He tore his ACL and his right knee in practice. Redshirt senior, this is his second season-ending injury. He started 31 games for the Spiders last year, averaged 12.7 points, but he led Richmond with 78 threes and led the A-10, shooting 44% from three-point range, number 10 in the nation last year. Tough blow for the Spiders, and we wish Nick Sherrod a healthy recovery. My guest this week is the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Greg McDermott. He is the reigning Big East Coach of the Year. Last year was a tremendous year for the Blue Jays. They want to share the Big East title. They were on their way to a number two seed in the NCAA tournament before everything, as you know, came to a screeching halt. And he's also the dad of our 2014 Naismith Player of the Year, Doug McDermott. We talk all about that, what happened last year, and what's going on right now as the Blue Jays are practicing in anticipation of the start of their season in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So without further ado, here's the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Mr. Greg McDermott. We are thrilled to welcome into a Trophy Life podcast today the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Mr. Greg McDermott. Greg, first of all, 
Happy New Year. The new season is here. We welcome the start of the new season. Well, thank you, Bob. It's uh, it's certainly excited to, to be back on the practice floor with the guys. And obviously, we've, we're living through some, uh, I guess, new normals uh, because of some of the protocols that we're following in practice. But, uh, you know, hopefully co- college basketball is going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be an exciting year if it does. And, Greg, I think that's what everybody's interested in is – how is it going? You know, you've got the guys back. You've had a, about a week now of, of practice under your belts. Um, is everything going as you thought it would in terms of being able to stage practices and getting the guys together uh, in the midst of all the, the pandemic protocol? Yeah, yeah, Bob, you know, we, we made the decision uh, because of some of the protocols this summer not to bring the guys back. And, you know, depending on the you know, the situations that the guys at home, what they had at home in terms of access to gyms. You know, some of these guys haven't played five-on-five basketball since March. So that really impacted, you know, what we were able to do in our workouts. And, you know, we've gone much slower as we tried to ease them back into that uh, because generally, you know, they're here in June and July. They're playing pickup four or five times a week, and they're doing that in the fall when they get back to campus. And that, that hasn't happened. And you know, we're still practicing uh, with masks on um, to try to protect, uh, you know, ourselves from a two-week shutdown should somebody test, test positive. So, you know, try to practice social distancing whenever we can and practice uh, when we're not on the floor in a live situation. But it, it's certainly different than anything any of us have ever experienced. No question. And I'm wondering what we in the basketball community are learning from our football brethren as they have come back practice, play games, travel, etc. Um, you know, are there lessons that are being shared amongst the basketball community with how to pull this off and as we learn more and more each week? Yeah, you know, I think as, uh, you know, especially as the Big Ten and the Pac-12 come back on board this weekend where you're going to have, you know, a lot of college football games and, you know, and then and probably more importantly, Bob, more, more data uh, to learn from in terms of the testing protocols and what's going on and, and, you know, what's working. Is it the PCR test? Is it the antigen test? Is it a combination of the, of the two? What's, what's the best way for us to move forward when college basketball starts? And I think, you know, we will have the advantage certainly of looking and seeing what happens with college football. But, you know, football seems to be a little different. Um, you know, they seem to be pulling uh, some positive cases uh, away from their team and then, Unless there's clusters of cases, they're going ahead and playing those games both in the NFL and at the college level. And it sounds like the best practices for college is to recommend that if somebody tests positive once games start, you shut the program down for two weeks. And if if that turns out to be the case, uh, there's going to be a lot of interruptions in games throughout the season. Well, is there any hope to have that altered, or is that sort of what's going to happen at least at the start? I mean, that's that's at least what they're recommending for best practices right now. And, you know, I think as there are as it advances in testing, uh, you know, I'd like to think that if you if you know, if you can test virtually every day that you 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 know, you you negate the need for contact tracing. If if in fact that you're trying to keep your team together in a mini bubble, so to speak. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to, to be learned, I think, in the next month before we actually tip it up for real. Um, and, but, 
you know, it's it's going to be. I think I think we're going to be learning on the fly as we go as well, uh, just because nobody has traveled, and you know that's that's a piece of it that certainly adds another layer uh, to fighting this disease is when you're actually leaving your bubble at home and and taking your team on the road. Is the thinking, Greg, to play as much as many games as possible as early as you can, knowing that uh, interruptions might come down the road? Yeah, I think everybody's thought process is different. I think that is my thought process. You know, I, I want to try to get to 13 games as quick as we possibly can uh, to be eligible for the NCAA tournament because I, I am one who believes that one way or the other there will be an NCAA tournament, um, even if, you know, they have to go to a bubble situation. But I really believe that is going to happen. So, you know, I want to make sure that we do everything we can to put our team in a position uh, to qualify for that tournament, make sure we play the minimum number of games. And, uh, you know, we're opening up in a, in a tournament in Sioux Falls that, that was going to be the battle for Atlantis. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great field. We'll, we'll get three great games and, and come back home and go to Kansas shortly after that. So, you know, we're, we're playing a really aggressive schedule. And obviously the Big East is loaded again, so it should be a lot of fun. Speaking of the Big East, what's the latest on the conference scheduling? Um, you know, it's interesting because you all have such a geographical divide. You've got the Midwest schools, and then you've got the Northeast schools. What's the thinking in terms of the conference scheduling? Well, I think we'll have something this week. That's at least kind of what we've been told. And obviously you have a, a, you know, a lot of challenges uh, that the Big East faces. You know, we're, you know we have several teams in our league um, that play in NBA arenas or NHL arenas and, you know, what's the status of, of those leagues and what's the building availability? Uh, will we be playing in front of fans? Will we not be playing in front of fans? If we're not playing in front of fans, do we just play those games on campus um, in a smaller facility? So, you know, there's a, just a lot of questions that I think the Big East needs answered as they put this schedule together. And Obviously, you know, we're a little bit on hold with our non-conference schedule until until we get some confirmation of when those Big East games are because I, I am relatively confident that we're going to try to play, you know, three or four conference games in the month of December if we can. Um, and, you know, back to the point that we talked about, about, you know, trying to get as many games in as possible, especially, Bob, you know, at Creighton, for instance, our last day of finals is November 25th. And we're not bringing the students back till January 27th after Christmas break, so we, we have a two-month window with no no other students on campus, which is a a golden opportunity for us to try to play as many games as we possibly can. Right, and to get to that November 25th date, uh, whole and in one piece for everybody, uh, seems like uh, the next goal that's out there. I can't, Greg, go back without uh, have you talk about just the bizarre ending. Uh, here in Atlanta, of course, we were all geared up for a Final Four. Uh, there was a great possibility that you guys are going to be here. Uh, it was a remarkable season for the Jays. Uh, and to have to come off the floor at halftime of that last game on March the 12th to Garden, just as bizarre as you can. And I, I think back to what uh, Ed Cooley said. He said, I never want to see that look again on my players' faces when I had to tell them, that we're shutting this down and everybody's got to go home. Uh, it had to be just as bizarre a time as as you could ever experience. Well, it was it, it was certainly you know the the sixteen or seventeen hours preceding that game just 
to think about how our world changed. Uh, you know, we had a full house in Madison Square Garden uh, the night of March 11th for the two play-in games uh, in the in the Big East tournament, in um, a great environment over there. And and then you have the Rudy Gobert in, incident at around nine o'clock uh, that night when he was pulled off the floor, um, and that that set a lot of other wheels in motion. And you know, we we played in in the Garden at noon uh, in front of 300 fans. Uh, and you know we're we're you know somewhat surprised probably that we that we did tip it off, um, but uh, you know we played 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 the first half and got to the locker room and got word that they were going to shut it down and but at that time there was you know there was no talk of the NCAA tournament being canceled so you know our message to the guys at that time was all right go spend a, they wanted to spend a few hours with their with their families before we headed back. Uh, the ones that had made the trip to to New York City, um, but our plan was to let's get back to campus, let's let's begin our preparations for the NCAA tournament, and we'll put this in the rearview mirror. And and then you know unfortunately that afternoon the news came that the tournament was canceled, and you know all of our guys saw that on social media, so that was something that we were not able to communicate to them face to face. They saw it on social media, so really our motivation shifted from you know, getting back and getting ready to play in the tournament to let's try to get these guys home safely. Uh, because as you know, at that time, nobody knew whether the airports were going to remain open, what was going to happen. So, you know, we flew a lot of our guys home from New York City, uh, you know, to the, to their, to their home. And, uh, the rest of us came back to Omaha and then we didn't get back together again until August. So there's a lot of things that you, you know, you get to usually have the opportunity to celebrate a season like that. And you know, have your banquet and come back to campus and have people pat you on the back and and you know and congratulate the guys on on what was a really historic season for our program and and unfortunately that never got to happen, uh, but uh, I think it's provided motivation for this group for this season to try to get back and and you know finish some business that we started. It's so weird, Greg, because you know the guys, the coaches. I mean, this is a. 365 day a year proposition and to take four months off without really playing I mean there was there are some guys that didn't even touch a basketball for a while um and to you know to jump back in uh to start preparation for a new season rather quickly um what are you noticing in terms of the the skills of your players and the conditioning and everything that uh, after the four-month hiatus yeah you know what I've found Bob is you know the timing is off uh, you know, and, and I have a son, obviously, that plays in the NBA. Uh, so he was home for four months, uh, you know, during their shutdown and, you know, trying to find ways to get into a gym to keep himself in shape because obviously the NBA had no idea when they were going to return. But, uh, you know, what I've noticed with our team is, you know, you guys just have to be patient with themselves. It's going to take us a little while to get our timing back. Um, and, you know, part of that comes with, being in condition to play the way, especially that we like to play at a very fast pace. And I've seen improvement on really on a daily basis from practice to practice. And my hope is by the time we, we hit mid November, we're ready to go, but um, there it's going to be a process and you've got to help your players deal with some of the frustration of not having the, that timing that they're accustomed to having because they play so much five and five, five on five in the off season. But uh um, it certainly uh, has has changed the way we construct a practice, uh, changed the way that we're doing things week to week as we're gradually trying to build up uh, their conditioning and, and then hopefully their timing as we move forward.
Your son, of course, Doug, is our 2014 Naismith National Player of the Year. And I want to ask you a couple of different things. We're going to talk about coaching your son because so many have had that uh, enjoyment. Uh, not too many sons score over 3,000 points. We'll get to that in just a second. But I want to ask you about Doug's experience in the bubble in Orlando and what he shared with you that you can apply to your team. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, you know it, it allowed them to really focus on the business at hand. You know, there were there were no distractions uh, because you know they were isolated with one another, uh, and you know, obviously spent a lot of time as a as a team. And you know, Doug was able to spend uh, you know a fair amount of time with some of his peers in the NBA, just meeting for breakfast or grabbing lunch or going to play a round of golf. Uh, so I think he really enjoyed that. Obviously, it was a uh, it was a drain on I think those players, especially those players that had young families at home uh, that were separated from their families for for that amount of time. Uh, but you know, I frankly was was very uh, pleased and maybe somewhat surprised at the quality of basketball that was played uh, in the bubble. You know, not not just the uh, playoff games, but I thought the seven or eight games leading up. Uh, to the playoffs were, were very competitive, very well played, uh, and, you know, guys really competed. So it, it was fun to see, and obviously the, the NBA is able to put together a bubble that's, that's going to be, uh, you know, different than what we would, able to, would be able to do at the college level. Um, you know, the, obviously there's, a, there's an extraordinary expense to that, um, and I, I don't know that that's feasible with, with amateur athletes to, to, to do a bubble uh, – of that length, I think we could do some mini bubbles that are that are somewhat shorter potentially if it gets to that. Uh, but um, you know the NBA did it right. I think they treated their guys right, and uh, you know I, I think the best team won. Yeah, Doug, um, it, it was a kind of a rough, <laughs> rough experience. They ran into a buzzsaw. The Pacers did when they played Miami. But uh, Doug's magical year, uh, Greg. Since a few years have passed, and you have a chance now to reflect back. A, on coaching your son, and then B, to watch him blossom into one of the greatest college players of all time. Yeah, well, first of all, the Naismith Trophy still sits proudly in my office, so I see it every day. Uh, Doug has been kind enough to let me store it uh, as one of the decorations in my office, so it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it is uh, it proudly displayed uh, in our practice facility. But, you know, Bob, it was a it was an incredible journey that Doug and I had together and, and, you know, one that I wish, uh, you know, every father could enjoy with their son uh, to, to have him, you know, really uh, be able to, you know, play at such a high level uh, for, for really, you know, all four years of his college career. And, you know, not only to be there, uh, you know, for every game, but every practice and be involved in the preparation and, and, adding things to his game and being able to help him develop and, and, and taking his game to another level was, was really enjoyable. And I think as we look back on it now, um, it's even more enjoyable because we really appreciate that time that we were able to spend together. And obviously the rest of our family was a, a big part of that as well, you know, by being there for, for every single game. And, um, and, you know, and now, you know, Doug and I can talk about basketball at a, at a different level. You know, we, I get some of those phone calls after games that, uh, you know, that he would want to ask his father that he probably didn't make those calls when he was playing for me uh, in college because you, you'd had enough of the coach at practice that day. So, 
it's uh, it's it's been fun, and uh, you know what what he was able to accomplish was was incredible. Uh, and he had a great group of teammates around him. And you know the individual success is one thing, and I think Doug would be the first to tell you it's it's some of the things that we were able to accomplish as a team that was uh, really really special. You know, uh, Greg, I think of uh, Jim Beheim currently, uh, Fran McCaffrey, just to name a couple that have the experience now of having their son or sons, as the case may be, on the on the team. Do your peers who have gone through this uh, talk to you about it, uh, what it was like, uh, advice, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I get a lot of phone calls, especially, you know, probably more so from, from high school coaches, um, than I do some some college coaches, but uh, you know it's a uh, uh, it's it's a unique experience. You you have to try to separate uh, you know the basketball part, especially if you're sitting around the dinner table at home. I I, I think it's really important that uh, you know you can be a father and a son, and you can take the game of basketball out of out of those conversations. Unless unless you know my rule was if Doug wanted to talk about it and he brought it up, uh, great. But I I wasn't gonna. Uh, you know, pass the potatoes and make sure you block out better uh, when we play that game tomorrow. Those weren't <laughs> conversations we, we were going to have at the dinner table. So, um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, Coach Blaheim, Coach McCaffrey, you know, my former assistant, Darren DeVries, his son Tucker just committed to play for him uh, last week at Drake. Um, you know, those there are going to be experiences that they're going to cherish for a lifetime. No doubt. Well, Gregory wanted to ask you about your ball club because uh, it's one of the teams to watch, no doubt. You're, you've got a, four starters back. You, I mean, you'd love to have Tyshawn, of course, but you've got a deep club. You've got size. Uh, you've got a lot going for you, and uh, we just love Marcus Zagorowski. We have enjoyed watching him play, and uh, he's obviously going to have a banner campaign. Uh, how are things coming together? You got to be excited about this group. I'm I'm really excited, Bob. And uh, you know, obviously, Tyshawn made the decision to to stay in the draft, and I certainly support that. He had a tremendous career for us, and had his fingerprints all over the success of our team last year on both ends of the floor. And, and that's going to be difficult to replace. But uh, I think by committee, we can replace that. Uh, you know, Denzel Mahoney will kind of slide from a power forward more to the wing. Uh, and enter that starting lineup, and I think he he can bring a lot of things to our team offensively and defensively. And then the return of, of Marcus and Mitch Ballack and and you know Christian Bishop, Damian Jefferson. Um, you know we have we have some veterans there that have played, and and uh, you know I think we have some depth. Um, you know with with Sharif Mitchell playing some off the bench last year, Jacob Epperson. Um, you know has been really impressive in practice so far coming off the severe knee or leg injury. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, the freshman from St. Louis, has done some really good things uh, early in practice. And then Antoine Jones, the transfer from Memphis, I think will be able to help us with his versatility uh, at several spots. So, you know, I think there's more depth there than there was a year ago. And now it's just a matter of, you know, putting those pieces together and and figuring out who you know which group is going to function the best together, and uh, but uh, a very unselfish group. The basketball moves, uh, that play the game the right way. I think we still have a, a, a very a strong ability to shoot the basketball from the three-point line, and we'll shoot a lot of those like always. But uh, you know, this team I think defensively has a chance to be special as well. Well, we can't wait to watch you guys play. We'll be dialed in on November 25th. Um, from uh, Sioux Falls, and it's going to be a great year, and we can't wait for it to get going. And 
we just thank you so much for taking time, Coach, to be with us. And uh, I know all of our Naismith fans and just can't wait to get the new season. So from all of us down here in Atlanta, we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Bob. It's always great to catch up. Appreciate it, Coach. Best of luck. We'll be keeping close tabs on the Blue Jays all season long. Coming up next week, my guest will be Nell Fordner, the head basketball coach for the women at Georgia Tech. Nell will bring us up to date on the Jackets, her foray back into coaching after leaving the broadcast booth, and all things going on with ACC women's basketball. That's next week on a Trophy Life podcast. Brought to you by Warner the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. That's all for this week. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you next week on a Trophy Life podcast from Atlanta. Bob Rathbun saying so long. <laughs>